Hello everyone, I am Ubo and this is Slido Engineering Podcast. I am here with Davido, who is our front-end developer. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Davido. I'm a front-end engineer in Slido for about five years. I've worked with various technologies on, in front-end, including AngularJS, React, Redux, Mobex. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So our today's episode will be about front-end. I think this is the clear, but we will not talk about everything in the front end, but we will actually talk about the state management. So, Davido, could you tell us what it is? Mm-hmm. So, state management is all about state, and uh, maybe I'll try to show an example what the, what state is. Let's say we have a weather forecast application, and you have a single button there, which, is, which says something like get weather forecast or get weather. And when you click this button, it does an HTTP request and once it receives the response, it will show it to you on the website what the work forecast is. And uh, in this case, the state is basically whether you click the button or not, if you have some loading there, and uh, whether the HTTP request is going on or not, and whether you have the data or not. So if you have the data, it shows it on, on the website. Mm-hmm. Mm, this makes sense. What are my options to manage this state or take care about the state? So I guess the most trivial way how to do this would be just to have a function which is called when you click the button. In this function, you would do the HTTP request. And once you receive the response, you would just either store it in the variable or maybe not even that. And uh, based on the response, you would just render the data in the website by modifying the HTML. And in this way, you could have the state in the variable or the state is actually even in the HTML itself. So if you update the HTML, that is the state of the application. This is the most obvious one or simple one. Let's let's call it that way. But today you are usually working with some front-end frameworks like React, uh, Angular. So in React, you could just store the state in the variable and based on this variable, React will know whether it should render the data or it should render the button. So if you use a use state in React, that's, that's the way you can... Uh, you can store this in the variable. And if you have some more sophisticated stuff or application, you can choose to use Redux. And this is a totally different thing, like in the way it works, but it's uh, just still, it's just a place where you store the state. You have a different way how to store it, but uh, it's still somewhere in the variables, let's say, or in the application. Okay, so you mentioned Redux. Could you give us a deeper example or how it works? Uh, what, is, what is this thing? Yes, so Redux is an implementation of architecture called Flux. It is in some ways specific, more specific than Flux itself. So for example, in Flux you can have more stores, but Redux has only one store. And this means that you have a single JavaScript object which represents the state of the entire application, or not the entire application, but the most important part of it. And uh, some other specifics of Redux and Flux in general is that you have some actions and these actions are the way how you can change the state. And also the state is immutable, which has some uh, implications for the performance of React and other frameworks. But in its core, basically, it's just some JavaScript object where you store the variables. And uh, when you apply it on your, let's say, weather application example, how it should look like when you implemented using Redux. I forgot to mention that the Redux, you can you can imagine it like a file system. So you have some nodes, which are the folders, basically. In the folder, you can have another folder or file. And this is how you could uh, do it in the weather forecast application as well. You could have a tree, which has 
maybe only one note of whether the button is clicked or not and uh, whether it's doing the request and uh, once you re receive the data then you would have another information in the state like the weather data itself and practically how it would look if we were to follow the Redux way properly. I suppose uh, once you click the button, you would have to dispatch an action, which would be something like a weather forecast data requested. This action would update the state, whether this button was clicked and the request is ongoing, is set to true. And once the request has finished and you have the response, you can dispatch another action, which would be called, for example, weather forecast data received. And this would update the Redux state accordingly again. And if you use this with React, uh, you could just take the state from the Redux and based on the state, React would know, okay, this changed, so I have to re-render this button, for example, or this part of the of the website. Makes sense. Thank you. And what is your it's a personal way how you did and how you are doing now state management? Yeah, I, I started maybe like five years ago. I started with it when I was trying to uh, rewrite my personal project from AngularJS to React. And uh, the reason why I started using Redux was not because I had any idea about state management. I didn't even know that that's a thing back then. But it had some just practical reasons. I wanted some part of the application to communicate with another part of the application in React. And uh, you can imagine like you have a header where you have a button. And once you click this button, something is supposed to happen somewhere else, like in the body of the page. And uh, when I was researching how to do this without props drilling, which may, which uh, people may be familiar with, usually they recommend Redux or back then. And of course, uh, the point of using Redux is not to solve this particular issue. It's the, the issue is basically solved when you use the Redux implicitly. Or I mean, uh, you don't have to deal with this issue as much uh, when you use Redux. But I had this practical reason for using it, and somehow I just didn't, uh, I wasn't able to completely grasp how to use it properly, this Redux. I had some struggles. Could you elaborate about those struggles? So what was, let's say, hard to grasp for you? What was, let's say, cumbersome? Mm -hmm. One thing that I didn't like about it when I started using it was that I had to write a lot more code to do even simple things. If I wanted to have everything in Redux, as uh, maybe would naturally think that uh, would be the best way, then every simple thing would be so complicated. And then in time you'll realize that you don't necessarily have to have everything in Redux, but uh, that's something you learn later. Another thing uh, that I was struggling with was when I tried to imagine models or dialogues. Pretty simple when uh, you can only have one dialogue or model. And uh, Redux works best if you have things like singletons, but if you started thinking like how it should look like this state when I have multiple dialogues or multiple models and then you start running into problems which are solvable but it's going to it's starting to get complicated and I just didn't understand why it has to be so complicated let's say okay so you mentioned some issues you had but uh, there are definitely stuff you like on this approach uh, yes absolutely one of the things that I liked the most was that you had this single object which contains most of the state of the application if you are using it properly. And it's uh, really helpful when you are trying to debug some issues or uh, understand what's going on in the application. Another thing that I really liked about Redux was when I realized that uh, when you have this state, this object, and you have a React application which was written to work with this state, you can just take the state, feed it into the application, and the application will magically render itself in in that state. So in this way, you can 
actually look at it like the application is a projection of the state. And so you start taking the state as a first-class citizen. And if you focus on making the state beautiful, then uh, it's much easier to navigate the code, much easier to write the React components, because it just all makes a lot more sense then. Is this, well, let's say, good old uh, MVC, isn't it? So in some way, it's a, it is similar to MVC in, in that, that you still have a view layer. If you are building it the way it was meant to be, like a flux, it's actually an alternative to MVC as far as I know, because I think in Facebook they had the problem that uh, their components or modules were so intertwined with each other that they just ended up with this architecture where you have a single place where you can dispatch actions, listen to actions, and you have a single store which you uh, can uh, take the state out from. And in this way, you can look at it as, a, as some bus. Everybody connects to the bus and anybody can listen on the bus. So you avoid in some in a certain way uh, to this um, module code dependency. Mm-hmm. And what next? So you using Redux right now or you find something else because you like something, you don't like something, so how it evolves? Yeah, so right now we are using Re- Mobix. We stopped using Redux mainly because for me personally, what I found was most valuable on Redux was that single JavaScript object with the state and it was really easy to inspect it and to reason about it, which which was just a tree. But you can do the same with even pure JavaScript objects, you don't really need Redux to have JavaScript object which represents the state of your application. The reason you need Redux when you're using it with React is that React can be much more effective when you update the state uh, due to immutability of the state. But if you want to avoid um, actions and uh, the immutability or let's say the boilerplate of Redux, you can use Mobex and you can still have this uh, JavaScript tree but you simply annotate all these uh, things that React interested in, and uh, you make them observable, and um, then React is able to, let's say, subscribe to certain attributes and only render when they these particular attributes change. When we change our weather application, oh. how it should look like using Mobex? Yeah, so we can create a class, which would be called something like weather forecast, or maybe just up, up state or up model doesn't really matter how you call it. In the class we can have properties, which we can call data, or request ongoing, which would be boolean, and we can mark these as observables. This is simply done with an annotation. And once you click the button in the web page, you can just call a function which updates the state simply by setting the property. And uh, once the request is done, again, it sets uh, another property and the React will know that it's changed because it's uh, observing these properties in particular. Sounds very simple. Definitely simpler than Redux, in my opinion. It has, uh, Redux has some other benefits, I would say, but it's personally, I uh, find this easier to reason about. Yeah, and it means it's not mutable. Yeah, it's mutable now. Uh, the way React knew about the change was with the immutability. In this case, it knows because of the annotations and the um, the way Mobex uh, changes these properties into something that can be observed. Mm-hmm. How those actions are done here? So instead of using actions like in Flux, it's a more, I would say, standard imperative code. So if you want to do something, you just create a method that it's named do something, and it does the thing <laughs> <laughs> without having to define actions. And uh, 
It resembles more closely the way we used to program when we started programming. Okay, so it's more imperative, it's more straightforward uh, to do these actions. So it's yeah, it's more imperative, more si just simpler to mm -hmm. understand, in my opinion. Maybe if you can tell us something, I will iterate also with the MOBEX, so what is the final state, how you're using now, what are the benefits, and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. So we started using MOBEX in a new project, so it was we didn't have to rewrite anything and we we tested it out that it works better for us and this project again you have a single let's say a root object which contains all the other uh, objects so it's again a tree and uh, you can initialize the app without the view layer so everything you need for the app to exist when you, when you don't care about whether it's rendered or not it's this outside of view layer so this is a nice benefit that you can write tests We don't, which do not care about the view. And the advantage of this is that such tests are easier to write and maintain. And um, many times the view layer is just uh, kind of trivial. You can still make mistakes in the view layer, of course, but I would say the more serious mistakes happen in the business logic. So we still have the advantage of being able to reason about the state as a tree, but we don't have to deal with uh, the actions and, and the boilerplate of Redux. You mentioned tests. Very loosely connected uh, with the React, so you can start it, or let's say, headless and uh, do some tests. What kind of tests you are doing? Mm -hmm. The most basic way I try to look at, look at this is you can start from two ends. You can have unit tests or you can have end-to-end -end tests. Unit tests have only tests as, as little as possible or only test the file that you want to test or a function you want to test. Uh, if it has some dependencies, these uh, dependencies are mocked or stopped. In my opinion, unit tests are hard to write for some more complex code where you have various dependencies. So if you have really simple functions or you simply have a function which has a simple input parameters and always returns uh, for the same input the same output, Uh, which is called a pure function, then this is a really beautiful example when, when you can write good unit tests. But a lot of the code that we write is not like this. You usually have to uh, integrate various uh, parts of the ap application. And in this case, unit tests are pretty hard to write. And when you write them, they are kind of brittle because when you want to change something, chances are that unit tests are going to break even though actually the code does, uh, does the same for the same input. So... At the other end of the spectrum, you have the end-to-end -end tests, which test everything, which is kind of nice because this is exactly what the user would do. So if you have a web page, uh, the end-to-end -end test should probably simulate the clicks and navigation through the web page and basically simulate the user interaction. The test usually communicates even with the API, if you have an API. But this other extreme, usually pretty robust in uh, with regards to uh, changes in the code, and they usually break only when you really change something for the user, at which point you would to actually update the test. But in practice, these tests are often also kind of tend to be unreliable sometimes because they uh, rely on uh, external services like uh, the set API or, or the browser even. So these tests uh, sometimes fail for reasons that do not originate from your code and sometimes it's, it creates a lot of noise when you are trying to do something. And everybody who's tried to studied how to write good tests will know that you want to have a test that for the same input always has the same output and you shouldn't depend on external services. So the first thing that uh, would come to your mind how to make these 
test more stable would be to eliminate the third party or the external service. So you can create a mocked API and yeah, this would make this more stable. And another problem with end-to-end -end tests, in my opinion, is that they, are, they tend to be slow, again, because of the external services, but also because they have to run in the browser and this can make them slow. So another way how you can speed them up is to eliminate the browser. So if your view layer is really simple, I would say even trivial, and for most things that you want to test, it doesn't actually even interest you much, you could just eliminate. And if you have an architecture of the app which allows you to do this, so the view is optional and everything can work without the view as well as with it, then you can write tests which do not depend on, on the view layer and are much faster. That means that you are focusing on testing state. Yeah, you, instead of checking what was rendered in the web page, the HTML and CSS and this kind of stuff, you can just check the state and rather than clicking the buttons, you can just call the methods that the buttons would be calling. And uh, you yeah. have a pretty strong test at that point, I think. Yeah, I understand. So you are not uh, emulating click, you just uh, call the function uh, which are connected with this click and then you check if state is changed as it should, as it's expected. Exactly. So this is the thing and you can run it on console, you don't need a browser, you don't need full uh, GUI. It's just a headless operation and it could be fast mm -hmm. or at least faster significantly. I still think that, that you sometimes you want to test the, the view as well, especially for the most critical stuff, but at least uh, you can uh, limit the number of such tests and make the whole test suite more robust and faster. So rather than having 1000 end-to-end tests, you can have 20 end-to-end tests and the other stuff can be tested without the view. Okay, as usual, at the end of each episode, I would like to ask uh, for some tips or parts of wisdom you would like to share, especially about the state management or front development. Maybe I have just one, and this is going to be probably an obvious one, but I think we tend to forget about it. So I think the new thing is not always the best. Uh, you have trends and like React, Redux, and RxJS, and so on. And I had a tendency to always try the, the newest thing, which is kind of good, but uh, I think it's best to just try it out before really using it to full extent until uh, you are sure that it's uh, going to be beneficial. So for example, even the RxJS, uh, I didn't mention it in this podcast before, but we started using it when it was new hot thing. And in time, we realized that the code is just so reactive that it's just so difficult to follow what everything can happen as a result of something. So this incredible power of RxJS is sometimes to its detriment, I think, if you don't use it properly. And uh, personally, I didn't find the, the proper way to use it, except for some special cases. So that's what I would give to my younger self, I guess. <laughs> okay, perfect. Thank you, Davido, for coming to this episode. Thank you for uh, having me. And thank you, everyone who is listening. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.